the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the Paul Leslie Hour. I have for you today an interview with Eric Darkin, percussionist extraordinaire. This interview originally aired on the radio. Now I'm bringing it out there into the podcast world. I did this interview with Eric Darkin. He is a percussionist, composer, and producer. He's recorded with some of the most successful recording artists, including Taylor Swift, Bob Seger, Ingrid Michelson, Larry Carlton. He collaborates with Peter Mayer quite a bit and also Mac McAnally. The reason I brought this interview out there, I've been listening for the last week. I got an advance of this album from Jimmy Buffett, Songs You Don't Know by Heart featuring stripped-down acoustic performances of Buffett songs, just vocal and guitars. When I heard about the album, I thought it would be cool if it just had maybe some percussion. I got the CD. Lo and behold, it has some very tasty accompaniments from Eric Darkin. Check out the Songs You Don't Know by Heart album. It is out today. As far as Eric Darkin's own albums, he has released a few. I've listened to them. Cappuccino Afternoon, Sunday Drive, Love Like Ours, all of them feature some very soothing, very relaxing instrumental compositions. For quite a number of years, Eric Darkin has been touring and recording as the percussionist in Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer Band. I'm honored to present this interview to you now. If you want to help keep these interviews coming out, you can do so. Just go to thepaulleslie.com. You'll see a button that says Support the Show. You can make a contribution via PayPal. Well, let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, we're joined by a composer, percussionist, performing artist, Eric Darkin. Thank you for joining us. So glad to be with you. So, where are you from? I was born outside of Chicago, Illinois, and lived there for a couple of years, and then I moved to a small town in Vermont and spent about 14 or 15 years up there. So I I tell people that I was raised in Vermont, and then I spent some time in the Carolinas and also in Oklahoma, and I moved to Nashville from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. But I would say I was raised up in the Vermont area. And were you always a musical person? I think I want to say that I was. I started, my grandfather was a musician. He was a dance band leader in Chicago, had his own band, and he was a multi-instrumentalist, played a lot of instruments, did not play drums or percussion. It's funny. He he played trumpet, he played saxophone and lots of, you know, French horn, but then he used to give my brother and I trumpet lessons every week, but I never took to it. And, and uh, but I would say starting around 10 years old, I started playing drums and, and beating on things. What is it about percussion that is interesting to you? I think it's the diversity of the colors and the options. I've always been wanting to grow, wanting to learn. You know, even in high school and college, I I started out on drum set. And so I played drum set for a long time and then started getting into the classical percussion, you know, the timpani and the mallets. And um, that was during high school and college. And by the time I had gotten to college, I sort of I was playing both drums and percussion. I think it was just my curiosity of all the colors and sounds. You can sure get a lot of 
sounds and colors and diversity out of a drum set, but I just, I love the, all of the options that made themselves available with playing percussion and drums. And more and more, I just find myself moving away from drums into just more of the percussion world. And, but what's interesting now is that I've gone back and I'm now playing kind of a version of what I call a hybrid drum set. And so I'm doing both. I mean, obviously I play percussion with Jimmy and I do percussion in the studio, but I've also been doing more and more gigs just doing like a hybrid set. So what I call a hybrid set. We're talking with studio and performing percussionist Eric Darkin. When did you start composing? It was in the early 90s. I um, just, I'd always been curious about it and some opportunities came about. I did a Christmas record. I just thought it would be fun to do a Christmas record called The Drummer Boys Christmas, which was just myself and some friends of mine did these cool arrangements on Christmas tunes, obviously featured lots of percussion, and uh, it's just more of a listening record, what I would call, but obviously featuring a lot of percussion and drums. And that was in the early 90s, and then an opportunity I met with some folks that I'd worked with in the March of that record that were beginning to do some instrumental records. Uh, They had a company basically doing what they would call gift shop records, theme-based records. So we would basically get an idea for a record, do the do the project, and then sell them. You know, I wouldn't sell them, but the the companies would sell them at like Hallmark stores and gift shop stores. And they were some of them would be like beach music, or they would be original versions of different concepts that we would come up with. And so I was producing and recording and writing a lot of those records. And at the same time, got connected with a couple of people that were in the film and TV industry and started writing music for a couple of different companies out of Nashville and Dallas, Texas. And so I was writing, you know, I was composing and doing instrumental records and also writing various themes and underscores for companies to pitch for TV and film. And so that all kind of happened, you know, in the early mid-90s into 2000. So that, you know, I spent the good part of that time recording and writing. So One of the guests that we had on this program of legendary percussionist, the late Ralph McDonald. Sure. I was hoping you can tell us about some of the percussionists that have had the biggest influence on your work. Well, obviously, I was a huge fan of Ralph. I did get a chance to meet him before he passed away, and an incredible loss to to the music world. And he was not only such a great player, but he was a great composer and producer and, and you know, what I would call just an all-around great great musician you know i mean he was a great player and then but his ability to produce and write songs you know it's an incredible combination to have all those so of course he all the things that he had worked on there's other some percussionists obviously there's some guys in california that i'm uh, pancho sanchez who's a traditional conga player when i was younger i would go out to california and listen to some guys just for inspiration i'd go take short visits out there and he was one of the ones that i would go listen to and very traditional Latino player. As far as studio percussionists, obviously Luis Conte is a great influence, Lenny Castro. There's a film and hand percussionist named Michael Fisher who does both commercial uh, records as well as lots of uh, film and TV underscores. And he plays he plays anything and everything. And he was very influential. As a matter of fact, I got a chance to meet, meet him and take a lesson from him and 
So those guys, Lenny Castro, Luis Conte, again, Paulina Picasso, there's just such a, a wide variety of guys, and I still am, am learning. It seems like I'm always in this, this stage of wanting to grow and wanting to learn. Ayerto is another percussionist who's, who brings all the different elements of you know Latin and Brazil and basically takes influences from all over the world and kind of incorporates them into what he's working on, which is sort of what I try to do. I try to approach music with a pretty wide with a really pretty wide variety of, of of tastes and colors. I don't try to lock myself into anything when I'm working, whether it's with Jimmy or a record that I'm working on. So that's kind of how I approach things. Well speaking of just a wide net of different styles if you look at the albums that you have performed, that you've recorded on, it's everything from country acts, then people like Bob Seger, Ingrid Michelson, mm-hmm. a lot of different types. Is it possible yeah. for you to pick perhaps the project that when you listened back to it, you thought, wow, now this this is a great recording? Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's and I after 25, almost 30 years of recording, there are, I think there are, there are projects that I've been involved with recently. I, I love being a part of, of groups that are starting from nowhere and that have worked them, worked themselves up the ladder, so to speak. You know, I, I was involved with Taylor Swift's record um, when she was, you know, I remember sitting in the studio with her dad and her producer and her dad was like, so what do you think of my daughter? I'm like, well, she sounds like a, a cool 16 year old singer, you know, and, and it wasn't two months, two or three months later, she's on the radio with her first single, Tim McGraw, which I played on. So it had a bunch of interesting parts. They allowed me to do, you know, I played orchestra chimes on one part and, you know, they, the producer allowed me to kind of go for some stuff outside the box. And so it's fun to see and be a part of what she's been doing. And I still work on some of her projects, Did uh, the live performance with her on the CMAs a couple of years ago, which was great. But of course, Bob Seeger is such a delight to work with. I've worked with him in the studio as well as done some live performances with him. And just he's such a legendary artist and such a kind person as well. So, I mean, you know, working with guys like him, working with Jimmy, again, same thing, you know, such great writers, great artists, great performers. But it's hard for me to pinpoint one and go, you know, that was that was spectacular. You know, I mean, it's. I've had a chance to work you know, a few years ago with Larry Carlton, the, the famous guitar player, you know, and, and again, such a great guy to work with and great music and great musicianship. So I am grateful and blessed to be able to kind of, what I would say, the, the pendulum swings pretty wide as far as what I'm able to, to be a part of traditional country. And then all the way over, I'll do a, you know, a Bon Jovi or a Megadeth record. So it's fun. It doesn't It's not boring by any means. Wow, from Megadeth to Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the tracks that you recorded with Ingrid Michelson. Uh, Ingrid was done, I've been working for the last few years with a producer named Jakira King, who has produced everybody from Kings of Leon to Ingrid's record, Tom Waits. And that was great. They asked me to come program. She's wonderful. Unfortunately, I was not in the studio. A lot of times what's happening now is they will send me, producers and artists will send me tracks to work on at my studio. And so those are a couple of songs that Takir sent me to program and work on at my studio. And then I sent them back and 
basically they just filled in the gaps with other players. So it wasn't one of those things where I was in the studio with her, but I was, you know, the stuff that I programmed and played on ended up making the record. And that was great because she's such a great singer and the songs turned out great. But I've done the same thing with like the latest record for James Bay. James, uh, an artist from Europe who's doing great right now. He's, he, you know, kind of came out of nowhere and Jakira did the same thing on that record where they send me the tracks. They allow me to kind of do all the programming and pre-production percussion and drums on that. And then they, they go in and sort of fill in all the spaces. So that's another record kind of similar to what we did on Ingrid's. So that's kind of a fun way of doing it. We're talking with musician Eric Darkin. A lot of people know you for your performances with Jimmy Buffett's Coral Reefer band. How did you become involved with Jimmy Buffett? I had worked on a couple of records with him. The License to Chill record, I did a couple of tracks on that in Nashville with Mac McAnally and uh, Mike Utley were producing and they had me come in. And believe it or not, I had worked on the Alan Jackson, Jimmy Buffett's Five O'Clock Somewhere. The producer for Alan Jackson asked me to come in and play percussion in marimba on that track. Little did I know it was going to be, you know, they called me to come in and play on the record. I had no idea what it was for. Showed up and there it's five o'clock somewhere. We spent probably an hour and a half on the song, did the marimba and the congas. And then, and you know, to this day I'm playing it every night. So I had sort of worked with Jimmy off and on. I'd worked on the hoot soundtrack with Mac and Mike. And then I had done the license to chill record, a couple of songs on that. And then one day back in 2011, Mac called me out of the blue and just said, Hey, don't know if you're interested, but Ralph is having some health issues. Would you be available to come down and just rehearse and do a couple of shows? And I said, sure, of course. And had no idea what the situation was other than I was thinking I was going to go rehearse for a week and, you know, do three or four shows and had every intention on going and leaving, you know, and ended up rehearsing and we did the first week of shows. And then after those shows, I got a call from Mac again and said, Hey, Ralph's still not feeling good. Can you come out for, I guess it would have been probably the June leg of the the shows. And, you know, it was really casual and very much, you know, I still was like, had no thought that I would be staying on other than filling in. And whenever Ralph was going to get feeling better, I would, I would just step aside. And by the middle end of the summer, it became a little more, you know, they became more aware of how serious Ralph's health condition was. And, you know, they kept saying, hey, will you come, you know, play in July or play in August? And and then by the end of the year, when things got really tough with Ralph, they, you know, when when Ralph passed, they, they basically said, hey, we'd, you know, be interested in having you stay on if you're interested. And, of course, I was. And it's such a great group of guys to play with, a great group of guys to be around. And so that's sort of how it happened. It was just a, a phone call one day from Mac asking me if I'd be interested. And the next thing I knew, you know, by the end of the year, I was I was uh, a part of the group. So what is Jimmy Buffett really like? What you see is, I think, what you get. You know, we he's a kind person. He's a great businessman. He loves music. I will tell you this, that he loves music. He is always involved in music. He's always got something going on musically. He's either listening to new music, writing or playing you know, about half the band takes studios on the road. We all kind of have computers and little mini studios on the road. So 
he's always writing. He's always got his hand in something musically. I can't tell you how many times in the last five years, you know, Mac will come up to me and go, hey, Gene's got an idea he's working on. I'm going to send you some stuff, you know, and we're, we're basically handing over hard drives to each other in the hotel rooms to, to work on things. That's how we did the uh, song that we worked on for Jurassic Park started like that. It's like, hey, we got an idea. Let's, and so we were all kind of working on it simultaneously, but never in the same room. We did end up working in the same room down in Key West, but he's a great guy. Jimmy's a great guy. He, he gives everybody a lot of freedom to do what they want to do musically. But I think it's a great musical experience for everybody, you know, and I think the fans get that too. You know, he's not uptight about, he doesn't want perfection, but he wants it to be musical and he wants it to be fun. And I think that's what people pick up on. You mentioned just a moment ago that song, The Ever Elusive Future. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that song? It's very different from a lot of the songs that Jimmy Buffett has recorded. Well, I think partly in a lot of those songs, I, you know, and I've been a part of soundtracks over the years. I think when somebody presents you with a script or a um, a theme that you have to write, I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, Jimmy's very, you know, Jimmy, and I say he's all over the map, but he's not in some sense. You know, he's he's all over the map, but he, he listens to a wide variety of things. I think he's always thinking about a wide variety of things. But I think when this, I think when the, the movie script came to him. I think he was he kind of focused in on, well, I'm going to write something about that. I think part of it was was the the nature of the movie itself allowed him to go down that road. You know, I'm not quite sure that song would have come out of him necessarily had the opportunity to write for the film. You know, when you're thinking of Jurassic Jurassic World and the whole Jurassic concept, you know, it, it allows you to think a little bit outside the box and go, well, where are we heading? Where, where are we going? You know, and, and that opportunity for the movie allowed him to, to go down that, that road. And for all of us, too, you know, it allowed us to kind of go not, not do your typical Buffett. You know, that's not a typical Buffett sort of song, not a typical Jimmy Buffett groove by any means. You know, so we, it allowed us all to kind of stretch out a little bit musically. A lot of people might say that this is a this is a crazy thought, but I think that Jimmy Buffett has a vocal jazz album in him. Oh, he does. Oh, I think he does. I think, you know, we did a song at a show last year. It was raining, kept raining, and then 15, 20 minutes before the show, it stopped raining and a rainbow actually showed up, I think, over in the distance. And he and Mac came out and sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow, just he and Mac. And it was so cool and so great. We all sat on the side of the stage and kind of shook our heads and we're like, oh my gosh, it sounded great. And so I would not be surprised if he does something in the jazz world. I could see him doing something with strings and orchestra. We're working on this new Christmas record for him and he sounds great. He sounds great. He's in a great spot musically. I think he's singing great. So. But to answer your question, I could easily see him doing something like that. I know he's got some stuff planned for next year. I, I'm not, I'm not privy to exactly what's going on, but I know, like I said earlier in the interview, he's he's always thinking musically. He's always wanting to grow, and that's that's the fun part of working with him. You never know what he's going to come up with. So, well, speaking of jazz, they have definitely a, a strong jazz feel to them. I've been listening very, very 
consistently to these two albums of yours, Cappuccino Afternoon and A Love Like Ours. Mm-hmm. Tell us about those recordings. They are just perfect for relaxing, perfect for mellowing out and getting in a, a, a peaceful mood. Right. Those were two records that early on, those were part of those records that I described earlier where I, they were what I would call theme-based records, whereas we talked to the label about what, what do we want to create, what do we want to, what kind of record do we want to make. And I'm, I'm a huge coffee guy. I love coffee. I probably drink too much of it, but I, I love great coffee. I love just kind of kicking back and laying back. And, and so part of it was me establishing on cappuccino and a love like ours. I wanted to create sort of a mood that I would want to be in, you know, when I'm, when I'm kind of laid back, when I'm just kind of kicking back and doing my thing, part of it is, Hey, this is what I'd like to, you know, I try to write music that I think I would want to enjoy listening to. I try to put myself in, in, in the listener's seat and go, is that pleasant? Is that not pleasant? Especially on the stuff that I'm working on, on my own. Uh, and I still do the same thing when I'm working on somebody else's record. I do the same thing. It's like, what pulls the ear? What I use the phrase, what pulls the ear in the right in the right way? You know, what's not distracting? What's not offensive? And so when I made these records, it's like I wanted to create sort of this this atmosphere and sort of this painting within thirty or forty minutes of everything, just setting people in a mood for thirty or forty five minutes. You know, laid back, relaxed. You know, if somebody puts on Cappuccino Afternoon, I wanted to paint that picture is probably the best way for me to put the same thing with a love like ours. It's just like I, I did a couple other I've done. I mean, I sent you two records, but I've I've got probably at least 10 or 12 out there. You know, I did a record called Sunday Drive, which is a little more up-tempo, medium groove, you know, just fun and laid back. You know, it's got a little more energy than what a Cappuccino or a love like ours. You know, it's one of those things you're like, hey... I want to get out of the house. I want to put this record on and go for a drive, Sunday drive. You know, it's like what, what, what would take me away from the world's cares and worries. And, and so that's, that's what I try to do when I'm creating music, when I'm trying to write music is, is to take people to a place that they can relax and have fun. Not just as an artist all around. What is the biggest compliment someone could give you? Oh, that's a good compliment. Um, that I serve the music, that I'm not, you know, that, that I enhance the music, that I, I think probably the biggest compliment would be that if somebody would say you're very musical, you know, especially from the percussion and drum world where people think of drums and percussion as loud and, and they are, and they can be, but I mean, I think the biggest compliment if somebody says you're very musical and that's always nice to hear and, and, and that I serve the music and that I'm not selfish when it comes to what I do on people's projects, whether it's playing with Jimmy or, or recording on somebody else's record, you know, or working on my own. It's like, I, I want people to enjoy the whole musical experience, whether I'm playing with Jimmy, same thing with Jimmy, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm constantly growing and learning when I'm playing with Jimmy. You know, I, I want the audience out there to not be distracted by anything, but, but what Jimmy's saying, I want Jimmy to be the focus. I don't want myself, I don't want to do anything that pulls anybody away from what Jimmy has to say or say. So I think the biggest compliment would be, you know, you're very, very musical. Specifically, can you remember a compliment that really, really meant a lot to you that someone in, in particular said to you? Oh, wow. That's a hard one because I can't, 
I was working with uh, I was working with Seeger on the last record. Not he's working on a new record now, but the last record that we were working on, we were in, I was in the room beside him, and he wanted me to do this little percussion solo. And um, I remember doing this little percussion thing, and he we got done, and he just just roared out laughing and just said, Oh my gosh, Eric, that's just incredible. Or something to that effect. You know, he, he might've dropped a bomb or two, but it was just to hear, to hear him just go off like that was a, was quite a, was quite a memory. And then I recently had Taylor sent me a, um, Taylor Swift sent all of us that worked on her CMA show, an individually signed picture of all of us playing together, just saying, thank you for an unbelievable evening. You know, and she didn't have to do that. But I mean, there are specific things like that, that, you know, when you hear from people like that, it sure means a lot. But I can't, you know, those, those two, I'll never forget the, the, the Seager compliment because it just came off his cuff. You know, he just, and to hear him and to hear that big roar of laughs and it was, it was kind of fun. What is the best thing about being Eric Darkin? Ah, gosh, good question. Um, the best thing is that I can, the diversity, I believe, truly believe that God has brought me here and blessed me with the opportunity to be a part of so many different projects. I, I am so grateful that I get to to be diverse and to be able to play on a Jimmy Buffett record and then to turn around and work on a Bob Seger record. And I get a chance to, to play with Peter Mayer on a, on a Christmas concert. I get a chance to go off and play with Mac. It's some little singer songwriter. You know, we did a show the other day, prime example of, I'm so grateful for, we, we played in Camden, New Jersey a couple of weeks ago. We played in front of, I don't know, 15, 20,000 people in Camden on a Saturday night. And then Mac and I traveled to New Jersey the next day and played in front of 150 people at this little outdoor cafe uh, and it was it was just as much fun we had i had just as much fun playing in front of twenty thousand people as i did playing with mac for 150 i love the diversity of that i love and then i get to come home and work on you know i'm working on a couple of different new projects right now for different artists and i love the diversity what's cool about being who i am is that i get to express myself in so many different areas you know i don't have to wake up and just do one thing and that for me is full of full of gratitude for for that open-ended question for anyone listening what would you say to everyone out there uh open-ended question enjoy every day enjoy each day be kind to one another learn and grow i'm always i always i i appreciate the fact of, of i'm excited to be learning still at my age i mean i'm in my early 50s and i'm still enjoying you know, learning and growing, you know, if you're a musician, if you're an artist, whatever you are, take the opportunity to learn and grow. That makes life interesting to me. Be kind one to another. And that's what I would say. Everyone out there, if they're interested in learning more, they can visit the website. It's ericdarken.com. That's D-A-R-K-E-N. So my last question, who is Eric Darkin? A quiet, laid-back person who loves what he does and who is serious and intense about making great music. I have this sort of quirky thing because I love to work hard. I love to go deep musically, but I also like to lay back. and I like to work hard and play hard. 
And in the meantime, I'm, I think of myself as fairly laid back and quiet. I don't take myself too seriously, but I take what I do very seriously. So I take, you know, the projects that I'm involved with, whether they are a huge name artist or some new singer-songwriter, the good news is I, I play the same for everybody. So I love what I do. I take seriously what I do, and I try not to take myself too seriously. I try to be kind to all those that, that I come in contact with. Well, Mr. Darkin, thank you very much for sharing. You are more than welcome. Thanks for letting me be a part of your show. It was a pleasure and an honor. Have a great one. You too, buddy. Thank you so much, and thank your audience for listening. All right. Godspeed. Thank you. Bop. Goodbye.